There's a great quote by Seneca that says, if a person doesn't know what port they're steering for, no wind is favorable. And so, mm-hmm. so that's the thing. Like you won't be able to, you won't be able to take advantage of the prevailing wind if you don't know which way you're going. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, everybody. On today's episode, we have Dr. Brian Zink. Dr. Zink is the Senior Associate Dean for Faculty and Faculty Development at the University of Michigan Medical School. Dr. Zink is also a professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing great today, Kim. Uh, Great to be with you. And Johns Hopkins, uh, near and dear to my heart because my daughter is an emergency medicine resident position there. Um, So uh, uh, we uh, get down to Baltimore occasionally, and uh, it's a great institution. Oh, that's so wonderful. And another small world, I did my postdoctoral fellowship up there in Ann Arbor at the Institute um, on Gerontology, the was it? Yeah, it was IOG, the Institute of Gerontology with Brant Freeze. Oh, yeah, I loved it there. I loved Ann Arbor and loved um, having the the bagels there downtown. Gosh, what's the name of it? What's (laughs) the name of the bagel? Zingerman's. Zingerman's, of course. (laughs) They're even in the airport. I think it was the Detroit airport. They've got a whole big thing. Oh, my gosh. Brought lots of memories there. Well, Brian, so thanks again for um, coming on the podcast. Uh, you're going to talk about, I think, a topic that we really haven't covered much, and I'm really looking forward to it because I'm a gerontologist, as I just mentioned, by training. So I'm all about like looking at later career. So you're going to talk with us about mid-career planning, maybe some late-career planning. Uh, what are your thoughts today? Yeah, I thought I just I recently gave a presentation for one of our faculty development sessions here at uh, Michigan um, related to uh, mid and later career planning. And so I thought I'd just maybe go through some of the key points that, that we raised during that and just some what some of the issues, recurring issues seem to be that we get from faculty who are in that phase of mid or later career planning. So uh, yeah, so I can just share with you some of the things that uh, that I've learned and that I gleaned from the faculty. Wonderful. Good. So yeah, I guess just to start, um, it's interesting if you look at, at the happiness or contentedness curves of life, if you, people tend to be happiest, uh, in their twenties. And then there's kind of a dip down, uh, when you start getting into your mid thirties and really goes until early fifties in terms of, uh, there's kind of an adhere in terms of your, your happiness index. And then it goes up quite sharply, actually, uh, Around age, you know, 55 in th- up through uh, even the rest of life. So, so the time when you might be doing the most in your career, the data would say that you're actually the most unhappy, which is a little distressing. Um, but you know, so why might that be? Uh, you know, and, and uh, so if you look at it, um, you know, just I think my observations and from reading and talking with faculty that there is that kind of blur of getting to your mid-career because you've been in you know, action mode and getting training and getting, you know, maybe degrees or, or um, uh, you know, research training or whatever it is um, that you're, you just been, you know, kind of nonstop action mode and trying to get to a position where you're happy and comfortable and hopefully well compensated. There's a lot of satisfying other people in that, at that time, you know, that you're maybe satisfying others rather than really thinking about what is satisfying, you know, to yourself. And so I think there's just a, a lot of activity and almost a flurry of activity. And at the same time, many people are building uh, families and, and, uh, and have those additional 
sometimes stressors that that um, can lead to um, to to life being just super busy at that time. And so um, I I think the happiness gets reflected in that. It's just that people feel a little overwhelmed at times in that phase. And then I think there's this in as you get into mid career and maybe later career, there can be this kind of career stasis where you know you've got it down, you're comfortable. Uh, but it might be a little blah that you're in a rut. You know, you're kind of doing the same thing. Um, you know, exa- for example, if you're an educator and you've seen, uh, you know, 15 classes of medical students come through and, you know, the new classes coming in, you know, you're probably going to be a little less excited at, at year 15 than you were at year, you know, three or four. And, and so how do you keep that energy and enthusiasm going when you're in this kind of career stasis phase? Um, and I, and I think one thing that came up in our group when we were talking was that when you're mid-career, you're kind of looking for something like, how can I advance? Are there leadership opportunities? You know, maybe I just got promoted, but I don't really see where I can uh, move into a leadership position. And that's something we're actually tracking uh, here at Michigan now to look at, at what advancement is like. And we're looking at it uh, with uh, an eye toward gender and toward uh, underrepresented uh, people in medicine in terms of is the advancement equal and are the opportunities equal. And then I think there can be in this stage, you know, kind of a loss of meaning or purpose uh, or joy in, in the job or in, in your in your career. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's an issue that people uh, will experience, um, you know, kind of a uh, one of the things I think is um, you may lose track of kind of what your initial mission and vision and goals were in medicine. Uh, we, I think we certainly see that in, in clinical medicine. And and what I would call that there's a little recalibration energy that sometimes it's easier just to keep going along than to make put the energy into really thinking about what you might really want to be doing uh, and, to, and to then, you know, make, make that change again, especially if you've got kids to tend to and other things to tend to, or it might be aging parents, or it could be, you know, a lot of things that, that, that are uh, energy drains in addition to your job. And I think we have to guard at that point of, of your creativity can be kind of at a low ebb. It may not be the more, the you know, most creative time uh, as you get into that mid-career. Yeah. So I'm not trying to paint a too dour a picture, Kim, but, <laughs> but uh, I think this is some of the things you kind of see when, when people can get to mid-career. Yeah. So. And then let's add a, a global pandemic layer on top of everybody's <laughs> careers. That kind of puts a little dampener yeah, on the wow. joy and happiness. Yeah, yeah. We boy, family care, uh, you know, uh, child care, uh, family care is just an enormous issue right now. Uh, as, as we just heard today, that our local schools, you know, will be virtual, and that people are just scrambling to figure out what they're going to do with their kids this fall. It's really, really challenging. So. And and so it it does yeah. it also points to you know non pandemic times and I think what you spoke you know to earlier this this natural curve of joy and satisfaction in life and I think it's good to to recognize that we're not alone in this even you know take the pandemic out of the scene I think a lot of times we tend to look at our inner lives and judge it and compare ourselves to people's outer selves and we then come up short saying well, I'm a mess and this is I'm not happy and I'm stressed out and I have all these competing demands and look at him or look at her and they've got it all together. It's, we have to remember that, um, wherever we are, wherever you are in your career, you're not alone. You're not experiencing these things. There, there's a, a normative stage of seasons of life. So I, 
I like how you're reminding and starting us off with reminding us that this is just natural. You know, this is not something that, um, something's wrong with you. If you feel like, how come I'm not happy? I'm a, I'm a brand new career faculty person here at Michigan or here at Hopkins. And why am I so stressed out? Or why am I, you know, not feeling this sense of, you know, purpose or meaning? Well, no, this is kind of typical for the season of life. Yeah, exactly. And I, so to me, you know, the, the, uh, it, there are certain fundamentals that you ought to go through if you're, you know, having a little bit of a, of a, of a mid career, um, you know, uh, adjustment phase. Uh, and, and I think it, it's really just going back to the basics of, you know, what's your purpose in life? You know, why did you, you know, what got you to here? Uh, you know, and there, there was probably something that you were fairly idealistic about many years ago, and maybe that has faded somewhat, but, and so there's a little diagram that I use in, in this this talk that I presented that that has kind of four circles and the four big four circles are you know what do I love doing what does the world need you know wh- what are my strengths right now at this point in my career and then and then you know what do I get paid for you know how can I kind of make a living you know doing all this and if you kind of put those four things together and overlap them you know kind of in the middle of that what's going to fall out is like well where this is where this is what I'm passionate about this is this is what I'm the most um, uh, inspired about. And this is my cause or this is my calling. You know, if you kind of intersect those four things of, you know, what you love, you know, where, where do you fit in? And, um, and I do think you get into this, into this, um, if you can just step back and, and whether it's with a mentor or a coach or someone uh, or doing, you know, a 360 on yourself or just to kind of like, what's the most important thing? And am I spending most of my time doing that? Because I think what you see is people very frustrated at times because they've, they've either accepted or been pushed into positions that are maybe not a match for where their ideals and passions are or where they want to be spending their time. And so it takes some energy to step back and say, Hey, you know, am, am I, uh, am I doing exactly what I want to be doing? And if not, how do I? you know, retool or, or adjust to get there. There's a, in, in the, again, in the slide I have that goes, I had, it's the old Eagles song. It's, it's called already gone. And it says, so, so oftentimes it happens that we live our lives in chains and we never even know we have the key. And I think that kind of resonates mm. with me, but like you, you have the key, you know, to change, like no one's going to, you know, readjust your life for you. So you have to, you have to figure out, you know, uh, find the key and then unlock, you know, the, the unlock your passions because, because uh, you know, no one else, you know, a mentor can help you with this, but no one can really do it for you. And yeah. so um, I think, and, and sometimes it might be with a, a counselor or a therapist or someone that really gives you um, the the power to do that, um, yeah. to, to do that type of change. And I like how you, um, how you noted that it, it can be hard work to recalibrate or to pivot. And, yeah. and as soon as yeah. you said that, it made me think, um, you know, something's worth doing. It's obviously not easy. And so we're talking to our audience. They're like, no kidding. I mean, you MDs, PhDs, you know, terminal master's degrees, you've worked hard. We all understand, uh, how challenging it was to get where we are right now. And equally so, uh, when we find ourselves in situations that are stressful or challenging, Sometimes we think, oh, it's just, it's just too hard to, to change it. It's just easier. Just keep, just keep going, just keep going. And immediately when you said, 
you know, recalibrating is hard and it's sometimes easier to just kind of push through and kind of shrug your shoulders and go, ah, that's just the way it is, is we all can think of examples where uh, you're working with someone, you know, who reports to you, someone on your team, and you're not really happy with a process or the way something is done or not done. So you just think, ah, I'll just do it myself. It's easier for me yeah. to just do it myself. And, you, you know, you watch this and as you get older, like I am, and you see these patterns repeat, not only in, in myself, but in my colleagues or in um, people on my team. And, and you say, well, why, why don't you, you know, show him or teach her? Or why didn't, you know, why don't we fix that and go, oh, it's just easier if I just do it myself. And I, and on one hand, I say, yes, it is, because obviously, you know, you know what you want to do. You're good at it. You're efficient at it. And the trade-off is if you don't invest teaching this person, working with this person that you just hired the way that you want it done, it's a little bit, it's effort up front, certainly to put out standard operating procedure or figure out a process or really get down to in the dirt there, but it's going to pay off at the end because now you can confident with confidence turf that or triage it to someone else and not thinking of oh, something else I have to do myself because nobody does it like I do. So as soon as you said that, Brian, it made me reflect on that really common, I mean, mis- mis- misstep that I do a lot is just think, by the time I send an email and explain to this person how to do it, I could just do it myself. And it's just inefficient. <laughs> so I think it's the same yeah. thing with our careers. We just get into the groove of like, ah, to sit down and think about what is my mission, my vision values? Am I doing it the right way? I mean, it's kind of this habit. Yeah, new habits are hard to make. And so we do just kind of harumph about it. And maybe we quit, you know, mentally or emotionally, but we don't, we never leave. We stick around, but we've, yeah. we've checked out. And that's just not, it demoralizes us. It kills our soul and it kills everyone else around us with that kind of an attitude. So I'm really getting what you're saying about recalibration. Yeah, it's, you got to sit down, you got to figure that out and it takes some work, but it pays off. Yeah. And I think just some, if I can, you know, kind of cover what I would suggest is some steps for this recalibration. And I, so I think the first thing you need, need is I'll call it PRT, which is personal reflection time. And whether that's, you know, when you're on a vacation or maybe you're, um, we're not doing that as much anymore on an airplane for four hours flying across country and you just have some time to, you know, let your mind rest and just say, Okay, am I doing what I really want to be doing? And, and if not, you know, what do, what do I want to be doing? And then, you know, as you're reflecting, if you can return, if you've ever hopefully done a mission and vision value statement, um, that if you haven't done one, a great time to do it. But if you have to, to go back to that, to, to take a pen and paper, um, the old fashioned way and to write down, you know, what is your mission in life right now? And, and obviously your mission will have personal and professional components. Uh, it may be to be a great spouse or partner. It may be to be a great, um, to support, you know, your parents. It may be to be a great parent. It, you know, it depends on your life situation, but you'll have a personal component of your mission and you'll have a professional component. And you should be able to write that out in two or three lines. And then, you know, really think about, you know, what are my values right now? Uh, you know, that, that, that are the most important to me. Um, and, you know, it may be discovery, it may be clinical care, it may be teaching, uh, but what are the things, you know, the values? And then, you know, what is a vision over the next, uh, you know, five to 10 years for you and, and what would be needed to, to create that vision? And then, so I think if you can 
reflect and then physically write down an MVV for yourself at this point in your life and then say, okay, I need, let's do some consultation. So that'd be the next step is to consult. And so obviously family, friends, um, hopefully you have a mentor network that you can tap into to talk about these things. And it may be that your immediate mentor may have kind of pegged you into a certain role or a certain way of doing things. And so maybe it's not your person that's professionally the most connected. Maybe it's someone that's a little outside or from another institution. You may consider a coach if you have the, the ability and the luxury of having a coach in your, in your role. That would be great. And then you, you may consider, as I said before, a therapist to try to help you just kind of sort out um, the things in your life. But So I think consultation after you write up your MVP is really important. And then I think, you know, imagining new roles or a new pathway, and if you can, to kind of take them for a test drive. So, you know, so maybe you want to get involved um, in education. You've been maybe more involved in research, but, you know, there there might be an opportunity for you to to teach, uh, you know, med students or grad students or others um, on a limited basis and try that on for size and see if it's really stimulating for you, if you think you want to do that. Or maybe you want to get, you know, more involved in administration so that you offer to lead a project or to, you know, take on a role that uh, an administrator could assign to you um, just to kind of take things. You don't need to, you know, make a leap before you're absolutely sure what you want to do. And I think it's important just to, as you're doing this, kind of develop um, a new set of goals and a strategy and kind of a timeline and, uh, you know, and, and just kind of, you know, set your course again and, and, and uh, you know, and, and just make sure that you're, whatever you're doing, it's with thought and, um, and with a kind of disciplined approach rather than just feeling like you're going in to the next day of work because that's what you do. And, and I, I do think it's really important to take just that little bit of time and consult with others to, to just kind of reassess and get your MVV, you know, readjusted and then some goals and strategy for it. Yeah. Um, there's a great quote by Seneca that says, if a person doesn't know what port they're steering for, no wind is favorable. And so, mm-hmm. so that's the thing, like you won't be able to, you won't be able to take advantage of the prevailing wind if you don't know which way you're going, because there's lots of prevailing winds going around, a, you know, a health system or a med center or, or, or a university and, and, uh, it, you know, you want, if, you know, it'd be great if what you're doing is aligning with what some of the prevailing winds are. And sometimes as you're in your mid-career, you're pretty smart about what, what might be an opportune thing to get involved in right now because you can sense those prevailing winds. My brain is going crazy. And this is what you just <laughs> got done saying is exactly why I love doing this podcast because especially during times of COVID when you know you just shared with me, you're in your bedroom office, I'm in my basement office, and I'm, I'm all by myself. And I think many of us, much like we wear the same clothes, we kind of eat the same basic food, the same basic diet, the same basic, you know, same friends, same kind of activities, we all have routines. And just a little bit of a stepping out of the box of meeting and talking with different people really gets your brain kind of going, oh, wait a minute, that's something new. That's a new voice, a new thought, a new perspective. And so when you talked about your your step two, consult with peers and mentors and coaches and a therapist and whoever else, and then ima- number three was imagining these new roles and maybe taking them for a test drive, I immediately thought of the, the combination of those consulting and imagining is once a week or every two weeks as your schedule permits, you know, getting on someone's schedule, okay, can I come and, 
and just talk with you, you know, half an hour, Dr. Zink, I just want to either I know you really well or I don't know you at all. And I, I wouldn't mind just a little bit of a perspective. I'm kind of toying with some mid-career, you know, transitions or a little bit of pivoting. And I would just love to learn more about what you do. And it does, it's, I think to me it would suit or have two purposes that number one, I'm as the faculty person or the, the, the person who's in this phase of self-exploration, I'm awakening some new neural networks and carving some new roads and pathways up there of hearing a different voice, seeing a different perspective, maybe having some new ideas. And I'm putting myself in front of other people who will then now know about me and know that I am curious and that I am on a new path, perhaps, and can then snowball refer me to someone else. And that's how you build these new new collaborations, new networks. And minimally, like I said, you're getting your your name and your face on someone else's radar. Oh, here's someone who may be interested in a project. And lo and behold, Brian Zink has a request from the dean to do thus and such. And Kim Skorupski just sat down with him last week and seemed like she was noodling a career, maybe administration. This might be something she'd be interested in. So that getting out of the comfort of our routine of the same, 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 same uh, is I think part of that investment in ourselves and yeah, it takes time and yeah, you got to put it in your calendar and yeah, maybe awkward or uncomfortable if you're maybe not disposed to that by your personality. But I think that's really some terrific advice. I think that um, it's, it's so important to, to be able to reach out. Obviously really it's a little harder to do that right now. If you're doing it all by zoom or, or uh, phone, but, um, but we also, this is a time when people are spending you know, more time alone. And, and maybe there is some, some reflection time, you know, you're not commuting. So, you know, maybe take a, uh, you know, two or three hours out of your week that you wouldn't be commuting this week and think about devoting it to a little exploration of where you're at in your career and where you really want to be in your career. And maybe those two are right in sync, which is great. Um, and you can maybe then help mentor others. <laughs> but, uh, but if it's not, then maybe think about some changes. But yeah, there, there's a, there's a, a good article I just mentioned um, called Staying Alive. Um, and uh, like the, was, who did Staying Alive? Was that the Bee Gees or someone did that? that, that little, I think so. Uh, a pop song years Saturday ago called Staying Alive. Yeah. Saturday Night Live, yeah. It's Saturday But anyway, the, um, uh, it's by um, uh, authors named Amy Strage, S-T-R-A-G-E, and Carolyn Nelson and Susan Myers. And it's from the IUPUI. Um, oh, but I think okay. if you just Google that, it's IUPUI. Is the um, is the it came out of a uh, of that institution um, and that's but if you Google that I think that will pop up for you um, saying alive and it's called meeting faculty mid career professional needs but they talk about you know to reiterate the importance and challenge of setting for oneself a person personally meaningful professional goal so goal setting is is one of the things that they really emphasize the second thing is the importance of being discerning and deliberate and embracing opportunities for growth. So I think what they're saying there is like, look, by your mid-career, you should, you don't need to explore 10 different options. You should know yourself and know your skill set and what's needed in your realm to be discerning and deliberate and looking for opportunities. And so when I was talking about exploring some options, you know, you're probably not going to explore 20 options, but maybe it's two or three that you pick, but about being, but they're, their theme there is about being discerning and deliberate. And then the third thing is is to be aware of the importance of the culture and the climate and the policies and practices 
that are established at your institution, if you indeed intend to stay at your institution, because there'll be some things that will be possible for you and some things that might not be possible. Uh, you know, and, and again, by mid-career, you should understand what the climate and the and the culture and the policies are and whether you can grow into your next phase, you know, within that realm. Um, and, you know, for some people, mid-career is a time when they'll make a, uh, an institutional change. Um, um, I did that and I, I left Michigan for 11 years and then came back. Uh, and it was, it was a, you know, a great decision. I went to Brown for a number of years and it was, um, a great decision. I got, I got to have a leadership role there that I wouldn't have had at Michigan at the time. And, uh, and, and it was, uh, it was a great thing to do, but, uh, and I'm not encouraging you all to abandon ship and it's hard to do in the midst of everything else we're going through, but, but you should, you should. Hey, can I develop within my own institution in the way, you know, that I'd like to? And uh, sometimes people will hit a ceiling in terms of there being a position they really covet that they that's not going to be available because the person in it is likely going to be in it for years. But if you can't think of another way of, of being happy or, or, or reaching your goals, then you, know, you may need to look around a little bit. Yeah. That's so wise, Brian. And you're also then you just maybe remember I did a podcast recently with Dr. Laura Schweitzer. Uh, she's a, a coach, pr- um, president emeritus, former VP for health sciences at SUNY Albany. And she did a, an episode about successful job searches. And her message was you have to craft your approach and your resources and your tools and your interviewing and your follow-up and your negotiations all based on their needs. It's, and I, and I hearkened when she said, it's not about you, it's about them. And it reminded me so much of the purpose driven life by Rick Warren, the book in that book, the very first sentence is, it's not about you. And so you're also Mm -hmm. now making me think the same thing. Geez, you know, mid career or any point in your career where you feel like you're getting a little stale. We all get into academic medicine because we want to serve and help people. We're very, you know, uh, motivated to serve and help. So what better way than to identify new needs in your division, your department, your school, your your university, and find a new way to be creative and innovate new new um, tools or approaches or methods or courses or curricula or anything. Um, so th- focusing on needs that maybe weren't there when you came on 10, 15 years ago, but are, are now uh, emerging needs where you can try to help your local micro environment or the bigger institution um, recalibrate for new new needs, for example, in a pandemic or something. How can we help young faculty um, pivot and be successful despite lack of resources and et cetera, et cetera? So focusing on needs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's a great way to look at it as well. Yeah, and I guess a, a final point I would emphasize is that you know mentors aren't just for junior faculty, and and just it, it, we've mentioned that a number of times that, of, of you bouncing things off someone. Uh, there tends to be a little bit of an evaporation of mentors. I think that occurs as you go through your career. That some of the people that may have started out mentoring you may have retired by the time you're mid career, or or uh, you may have moved to another institution. But I do see that when I talk to faculty in my department, for instance, a lot of the mid-career people can't identify, say, who their two main mentors are. They'll say, well, I used to have someone, but, you know, not so much anymore. We, we, don't, we just don't do much together anymore. Um, and so I think it's really important 
that you um, re, you know re-engage with mentors at mid-career if you don't have adequate mentors. And that may be someone who's more senior. Uh, it may be someone who's essentially a peer mentor, you know, who's kind yeah. of in your shoes. Right. Um, and and you may you may rely on someone who's who's you know just a mid-career and maybe a group of you that get together and talk about issues, but. Uh, and I think the other thing is external mentors are really helpful. Usually by your mid-career, you've got some connections, you know, around the country. And it's really nice to bounce things off of someone who's not at your institution. And, and you may, you may find that things are either better than you expected at your institution or worse or, you know, but it's, I, I found it really valuable to share stories with someone who's at another place and, uh, and, and, and get advice from them. So, I think, you know, just make sure that you're, you're not letting mentorship, you know, you know, it should be a mentor network means that you've got people that you're, that, that are mentors to you. And then you have people that you're mentoring and then you have peer mentors, but make sure that you're not, you know, in that, in that situation where all your mentors have evaporated and you're just kind of going it alone. I think that happens too much in the mid career. Oh, you're, I'm so glad you reminded us of that because I hadn't thought about that in a while. But it makes sense that, you know, the assumption would be on the part of the faculty member that, geez, I'm supposed to have everything figured out by now. And you're, yeah. and you're exactly right. That's such a, a thinking error that, yeah, maybe you, you should have it figured out in terms of you've been here long enough at the institution. You should pretty much by now figure it out how you got promoted, how to get promoted, what the next step is, what your research interests are, what your clinical practice looks like. Yes. And, People grow and mature and and need uh, fresh ways to find meaning and contribute. And as you talked about, having a sense of purpose. So it's absolutely um, just natural to want to talk to other folks and see how they made adjustments as we go through the seasons of life. As I mentioned, now your your kids are little. Now your kids are in college or they're out of the nest. And now mom and dad need your help or all those basic life challenges and life events people who are just a step ahead of us on the ladder or who are riding right next to us, who maybe know us better than we know ourselves, you know, can really be valuable. So I'm so glad you reminded us of the value of not only being a good mentor, but being a good mentee and being proactive and not being so, um, practicing some humility, I guess, and, and not being a sh- shy or afraid that we'll be somehow judged if we say, I need a mentor. Uh, it's, it's totally yeah. uh, all the smartest people. You know, you look at all the big high-level leaders who are brought into our institutions. They're all given job coaches, or many of them, they come yeah, with a definitely. coach. My goodness. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think you do get into that mode of, of uh, you know, you you're might be a, a really great mentor. And, and I always, I said in the session that I gave, I said the best advice that I, I uh, have for myself, I give instead to others. You know, this idea that's like, you, you know, I, I'm great at giving advice, you know, to others about, uh, you know, writing their MVV and doing this and doing that. And, and it's like, well, are you doing that yourself? You know, uh, so I think we get in that situation that we're a senior mentor and then we may not be, you know, practicing what we preach. And so exactly. I do think it's important to, uh, to have your own mentor network and then to, uh, to obviously, to to you know, do the things that you would advise someone who's coming up through the ranks. So, right. so that's the gist of what yeah. of what I presented um, in this in this recent session. But I think it's um, it's an area you know if you do if you search on it you, you'll find um, you won't find a heck of a lot uh, right. out there for, in terms of the mid career uh, space. And so 
I do think it's important uh, for people to, you know, be thoughtful about it and, and deliberate and, and mindful about, you know, w- what's going on. And, and, and don't just let, you know, the months or the years, you know, blur together. Uh, and then, you know, you realize that, you know, age 60 that your last, you know, 15 years have been pretty blah. You know, that that's, yes. that's not <laughs> a great, a great thing to, to occur for someone. So. Wow. So, so important. And I'm so glad you brought this to the Faculty Factory podcast, Brian. It's really, we have been remiss in talking about mid-career faculty. So maybe we can get some more content here and hopefully get you back on the podcast because this is great stuff. And I'm definitely going to look up the Staying Alive article that came out of IUPUI by Strage, Nelson, and Myers. Uh, I love anything that happens in Indiana, and Mary Dankosky is one of my favorite people. So anything that right. happens there, I right. always attribute to her. <laughs> good, good things. Right, right. Uh, but it, yeah, she a, may have her fingers in this, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I love, I love what they do there. They're just really always doing great things. But um, this has been really valuable, folks. You've been. Um, Learning a lot from Dr. Brian Zink. He is the Senior Associate Dean for Faculty and Faculty Development at the University of Michigan Medical School. He's a professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine, and you can see he's got a lot of wisdom to share there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do, and maybe we can get him back to um, add some more content in the mid-career and late-career space. Thank you, Dr. Zink, for joining us on the podcast my pleasure, Kim. Uh, great, great to participate. And thank you for uh, creating this as a great resource for faculty. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.